As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Meholathite for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, 
Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, morning, church. Um, super random, before we get things going, did anyone, um, I just met a, a friendly guy here, his name is Brad, and he thinks he reckons that someone might have um, picked up his phone. Um, did anyone pick up a mobile phone? I'm, it's this thief over here, his name's Clarky. Yeah, so Clark, can you um, get it to him? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Brad, I promise we've never actually done something like that. <laughs> but, bro, you are welcome anytime. Clarky will take care of you, and uh, he'll chop down a tree for you if you need it as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, give him a two ways to lift track. There's one right over there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's one up on the top up there. Thanks, Brad. See you, man. All right. So, yeah, you got it. Thanks, man. Well, that worked out. Hey, in the providence of God, honestly. I, I, you know, I, um, I used to look at stuff like that. Before I was reformed, I used to look at stuff like that and be like, oh, that's kind of random. And now I'm like, well, you know, you never know what the Lord's doing there. So um, anyway, there you go. So um, let me start off by saying this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So says the half-brother of Jesus, James. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That idea in essence, sums up today's passage in a nutshell. Uh, this story, if you haven't figured it out when Jeanette was reading, has a lot of moving parts to it. Did you see that? 
But when you break it down, and you say, well, what's, the, what's going on in these chapters of 18 and 19? God opposes Saul, but shows grace to whom? To David. God opposes Saul because of his pride, but shows grace to David. So here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're headed. We are going to go through chapter 18 and 19, and as we work our way through both of these chapters, what we're gonna, what's going to pop out initially to us is this idea of Saul's pride. As the Bible says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So we are going to see Saul's pride. God opposes the proud. But then we're going to circle back through once more, chapter 18 and 19. Don't worry, we won't read it twice. But we'll circle back through and pick out all the bits that show, that demonstrate David's humility in the midst of suffering. So God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I pray, church, that you find today's text both as a warning as well as an encouragement to your soul. So let's pray to the Lord that he blesses his word as we open it up together. Let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for these events recorded in the book of Samuel. And we trust that every bit, every syllable, every sentence comes as a result of you breathing it out. And so we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you enable this word right now to pierce our hearts, that we might know what it means that you oppose the proud but show grace to the humble. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So if you weren't here last week, Jeanette flagged it for you. We left off on a massive high note. The giant has fallen. The giant has fallen, and his great fall shook more than just the ground. It seems that everybody everywhere has taken notice of David. They're even writing songs about him that are hits on Spotify. I'm not kidding. As Saul and the soldiers are making their way home, uh, they're greeted by these, all of these ladies, these grateful moms, wives, as well as daughters, and they're singing and they're dancing and with songs of joy. And they sang a little ditty that went a little something like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Ouch, right? Talk about a blow to your pride. And Saul hears it exactly that way. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 18, picking up with me in verse Six. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, 
The women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. Now, these women weren't trying to be political. They're not trying to take a a dig at Saul. But the very comparison that they make galled him. Just got underneath his skin. He's beyond angry. This, This whole thing is evil in his sight. Why? It's true. He didn't struck. He didn't kill Goliath. David did. Why is he so upset? Simple. Pride. Pride. Saul's problem is his pride. Look what he says in the rest of verse 8. He says, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on, who if looks could kill, right? Pride, friends, is self-centeredness. It's a preoccupation with the self. It's been said that I, as in the letter I, is in the center in the middle of pride. P-R-I-D-E. I is in the center of pride, and that's true, isn't it? Saul has to be number one. Pride inevitably inevitably has an ugly self-focus. It hinders our ability to celebrate others' success. I mean, that's what, that's what really irked Saul so much was that David was so successful. I mean, David's not doing anything bad to Saul, right? As far as we're aware here in the text, he's, the Lord is with him and he's successful. And it's, it's on those grounds that Saul is cheesed off. I mean, look at verse 5. If you go back to verse 5, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And drop down to verse 14. Verse 14, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him. And finally, if you go all the way to verse 30, near the end there, and then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul. Saul is threatened by David's success. Maybe he's connecting the dots here. Remember back in a few chapters ago, when he doesn't obey God's voice and Samuel comes to him and he says, your kingdom is going to be torn from you and given to someone better. And maybe that just haunts him. He's losing sleep over that. I mean, he, he's not exactly a rational dude. I mean, even when 
Samuel made that prediction and said, your kingdom's going to be torn from you, right? He, he, the reason he did that was Saul grabbed him and was like, ah, and just, you know, and then he goes, and that's just like you tore my robe. Your kingdom's going to be torn to you and given to someone better, 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 someone better. You know those words that really, someone says something and you can just hear it when you're driving the car? Give them to someone better. Give them to someone better. Give them to someone better. Give them to... You go to sleep at night. Give them to someone better. Give them to someone better. Then you dream about it. Give them to someone better. I'd punch them in the face if you were right here. Give them to someone better. Give them to someone better. Give them to someone better. Give them to someone. Ugh. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute. David has struck down his tens of thousands. Maybe he's the someone better. Well, we're not. Saul's not going to wait around to decipher he's the someone better. He's got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> he's got to destroy David. So, so at first, this jealousy just kind of simmers. He's thinking these murderous thoughts. Pin him to the wall. Kill David. And then it progresses to these homicidal attempts. Be that through Saul's spear through the hand of the Philistines, through colluding with his own kids, even hiring out a death squad to assassinate David. He'll do whatever it takes. Why? What has got no, what, like, dude, you've lost it. It's his pride. It's his pride. If you come to verse 10, come with me to verse 10. The first attempted murder took place just the day after these ladies were singing their songs. Yeah, just, just the day after David's victorious homecoming. Uh, there David is, he's, he's making music for Saul. Do you remember that's why he was brought to Saul in the first place? He, he was brought to Saul because he had he, his music was like a, a soothing balm to him. It, it, it calmed Saul down. It provided relief and healing. Well, now in verse 10, instead of healing, there is hate. Look at verse 10. Chapter 18, verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved. Interesting word there. That, that means prophesied. But I think there's a better, I think that's a good translation. He, he raved. It's a harmful spirit. He raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. It's an amazing scene, isn't it? I mean, Saul, as he's becoming more and more insecure and frantic, he just keeps seeing the enemy, his enemy in his mind, sitting right before him, playing, and he thinks, I'm going to pin him to the wall. And as he picks up his spear, David sees it in the corner of his eye. He sees it coming, and then he ducks. Now, you ever wonder what this looked like? I mean, did, did David leave the room twice or just dodge the spear twice? And, and did Saul, after it was done, I mean, it's like, you try to kill me. He's like, oh, just, this was just military training, man, you know? I mean... We don't know. We don't know how all of that went down. What we do know, though, 
is Saul, he's becoming, he's becoming more and more like Goliath, isn't he? He's trying to kill David, to destroy the Lord's anointed. And what's fascinating in verse 12, you ask yourself, well, who's trying to kill who? Saul is trying to kill David, right? David's not doing anything. But we read in verse 12 that Saul, Saul was afraid of David. You see that? The, why? Well, the Lord was with him. Look at verse 13. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. That's what Saul was supposed to do, by the way. Go in and out. But David has already become the de facto leader here in Israel. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Evil always fears the good. At the end of the day, Satan and his demons are terrified of God. They know that they're going to lose. Evil knows that ultimately, evil knows ultimately that it will fail. I, I think it has that sense deep within. Anyway, as we, as we move through this chapter, Saul continues to be consumed with his jealousy, and he tries to kill David in a little bit more subtle ways now. He'll go back to spear throwing in a bit, but... Now he's going to do things a little bit more subtly. He schemes up these calculated, cold-blooded assassination plots. The first one is he uses his daughters to do it. Saul promises to marry his eldest daughter to David on the condition that, what, he, he prove himself in battle, right? Why is he doing that? Well, the more frequently you can put David out on the battlefield, the more likely chances are that he's going to cop it and die. But the problem is, David whoops the Philistines, comes back, and says, I'm ready for the wedding, right? And Saul then hastily marries her off to another. So that's done. But then when Saul discovers, I have another daughter who's head over heels in love with David. Michael, right? She just loves David. You can see it in her eyes. Every time David walks by, she's swooning, right? But this daughter of mine, well, she might be pretty, but we all know she loves her idols. So if I marry her off to David, maybe she'll be a snare to him. Look what I mean here. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. That, that term snare is theologically loaded. It's used three times in the Old Testament, and it's used to describe the dangers of idols and idol worshipers. Perhaps Saul was astute enough here to recognize that in marriage, his daughter's idolatrous inclinations could easily lead David astray, in which case David would become the Lord's enemy and meet a disastrous end. Isn't it interesting? You know, the, it's a kind of a funny story when she takes 
You know, she, she lowers David out of the window, and, and then what does she do? She, she takes what, what, puts what in the bed and puts goat hair over it? An idol. What's the idol doing in the house? Well, Saul probably is astute enough to go, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll knit these two together, and then she'll drag David away. It's really wicked, isn't it? And so, when this plan fails... He thinks, I've got more kids. How about my boy Johnny? Jonathan, Jono, he'll take him. I mean, didn't he take on the garrison of the Philistines? And if he's smart, he'll know that this guy's a threat to actually Jonathan's kingdom because he's next in line. So he conspires with Jonathan. And Jonathan says, Dad, Dad, seriously, whoa, this guy's innocent. David's innocent. He's, he's committed no crime against the crown. So to kill him would be shedding innocent blood. And, and Dad, don't forget, this is the same guy that took down Goliath for you, for me, for all of Israel. So his plan fails. And, and it's interesting because Saul says, all right, fine, I swear I won't kill him. But then not long later, he goes right back on those promises. And the fact that Michael or Mikkel and Jonathan are devoted to David, it, it only incenses him more. It only aggravated Saul's hatred. It's fascinating, though, this house is divided, isn't it? So finally, the king says, that's it. I'm sending a group of assassins. They're going to stake out David's home and kill him first thing in the morning. But when his daughter discovers the plot, come to chapter 19, verse 12, when she discovers the plot, look what she says. Look what happens. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image, there it is, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to David, to take David, she said, he is sick. Watch how Saul's lost it here. I, the, you know, look what he says. Verse 15, Then Saul sent the messenger to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. All right, forget it. I'm not being subtle anymore. Bring him up here, sick bed and all. I'm going to destroy him. At the end of the day, evil is irrational. There's something about evil that is insane. There's something about sin when we get angry unjustly and that festers and we explode even in our thoughts, there's an insanity to that, isn't there? And then you step back after the fact and you wonder, why did I think such things? Why did I say such hurtful things to my spouse or to my friend? Why did I say such hurtful things? Why did I act that way? I'll tell you why. Your pride. It's your pride. What causes fights and quarrels among you? They come because your dad was mean to you as a kid. No. They come from your and my evil desires from within. Our own sin. You see, when tempted... No one should say, God has tempted me, right? For God cannot be tempted by evil. 
Nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full, full grown, it gives birth to death. Do not be deceived. So Saul's problem was his pride. Now, how's the Lord going to respond to him? God opposes the proud, right? And he opposes him by disgracing Saul. So the end of 19, is a, it's a fascinating scene. He's hunting David down, and Saul sends messengers, and they find where David's at, and they start prophesying. What? Come on, I told you to bring David back to me. Well, I'll send another group, and then another group. And then finally says, well, sometimes you just got to do things on your own, right? That's it. I'll go. And so, come with me to 19, verse 23. And he went there to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said is Saul also among the prophets. Quite an unusual story there, right? God opposes the proud. Saul, by the way, is not prophesying because he's a good man. Saul, Saul's an evil man. But the Lord, what happens there? The Lord overcomes him, right? The Lord, do you remember, if you've read your Old Testament, the Lord prophesied through Balaam? You remember that whole story? Now he's prophesying through Saul. Why? Is it because Samuel and David need more revelation? No. Saul is overcome by the Spirit of God, so much so that even when he finally catches, you know, David's running, right? And, and you can picture him when he gets to Samuel. He, he tells him everything that's happened to him. And then when Saul finally gets to him, he can't even lay a finger on him. God is sovereign. He will flatten those who are prideful. And he lays there naked, <laughs> totally shameful. God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. I mean, all he can do is lay there and be naked and be humiliated. This is a major theme throughout the scriptures. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Now, let's rewind back to chapter 18 because now I want to circle back to David. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let's go back to 18 when they're singing these songs about David slaying his tens of thousands, slaying the giant. At this stage, at this period in his life, David was a smash hit, right? Let's, let's look what they said about him in 1816. But all Israel and Judah were envious of David. Nope. Is that what it says? No, they love David, for he went out and came in before them. I mean, Jonathan, 
That's the king's son. Remember this guy next in line? What does he do? In the very beginning of that chapter, he, he, he's, he's like a John the Baptist type figure, right? He must increase, I must decrease. He strips himself of his royal garments and says, David, you are the king. Not only that, his sister loved David. The servants of Saul loved David. The nation as a whole loves David. He's the golden hair boy. Yet he didn't see himself that way. I mean, when the king offers his daughter in marriage, how does he respond? Well, it's about time. Wasn't that part of the deal? I take down the big man, you give me your daughter? No. Look at 18.18. And David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives? My father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king. Dude, I'm just a, I'm just a bogan. Right? I'm a nobody. I can't, I'm not worthy. I mean, it's not just a one-off either. Look at verse 23. He, he says it again. When he's talking about the other daughter. What, how, does, how does he think that way? Well, he knows that any success he experiences, any success he has is, is only because of God's presence in his life. Can you see that theme? And the Lord is with him, and the Lord is with him, and the Lord is with him, right? All right, now, we've got to go back to this crazy spear seen one more time, because I think David really does show humility here. Go to 18. 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on. Not once, but twice. I mean, what are the, again, I don't know what this looked like, you know. He's, vroom, vroom, vroom. You know, I, 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 I don't know what that looked like. But the fact that he's willing to wait in the room long enough for Saul to retrieve the spear after the first failed attempt at least demonstrates an incredible depth of loyalty to the king and humility. I mean, I would have been like, you know, what's that over there? Oh, blah. You know, I mean, sorry, I would have said, oh, you know, I'm a pastor. No, I would have thought, no way, dude. I would have gone 300 on him, you know. Um, that's, but I'm not David, you know. And, and so, but David, he's, he, I mean, what, what, humility, and what does he do? You have to think in the back of his mind, wait a minute, didn't, he's, he's only human, didn't, didn't Samuel declare, didn't he anoint me as the king? How about I heard that there's someone better? I'm the better one. You know, get lost. Maybe I should, after all, Jonathan's loyal to me. Maybe I should raise up an army. Maybe I should do a little coup against you. But we don't see David picking up the spear, throwing it back. What did we see him? What happens? He's on the run. He's on the run. He goes into hiding. All the while trusting in the Lord. That's humility, friend. That's meekness. God opposes Saul, but shows grace to David. And God shows him grace, how? By protecting him, by providentially caring for him. 
You know, you know the night when those assassins show up and, and they're camping out on David's doorstep? You know, Psalm 59 has this to say. This is fascinating. David wrote this. He said, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me. For no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord, God Almighty, you are the God of Israel. It's fascinating, isn't it? See, David knows. He knows that he's the anointed king, and he also understands that God is sovereign. And if God is sovereign, ultimately, he put David in this predicament to start with. You with me? David doesn't have a Jeremiah 29, theolo- Jeremiah 29 11 theology. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. Come on, where's that at? God is the one behind it all. God is the one sovereign over all this. So he cries out to God. He trusts in the Lord. The Lord was with David in his suffering. Look at 19.28. Look what it says. So after he flees, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. But why? Go back up to verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. Saul was even more afraid of David. Friends, the Lord does not always remove us from tough situations. I could, I could really pack this place out. I could really, I mean, we could, I could make, I bet you I could make this a megachurch. I'm charismatic enough, I'm good looking enough. And if I just start telling you, and I'm humble, I'm the most humble person I know, and, and I bet you if I just started tickling people's ears, so to speak, telling you that God is, look at how, you know, all of these, God wants to, here's how he wants to bless your life and take away the problems in your life, and you'd start seeing some more faces turn around here, you know, we'll just... We'll soft pedal. We've got to get rid of it. You know, instead of this, I'll just chuck a couple proof texts on the screen. We've got to put this away. And you know, we'll tone things down. We'll get a lot of, maybe we'll get a smoke machine going in here. And we'll get, well, it'll be cool. We will be, we'll be a really awesome, we'll, 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 I mean, maybe I'll get invited to a conference and I'll tell people how they can do it. And I'll write a book about it. And all I've got to do is soft pedal things. That's all I've got to do. But... The Lord, listen, what, what, where, why was it going off on that? Because I, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you the truth. The truth is this. The Lord doesn't always remove us from tough situations. He puts us right in the middle of them. Because he wants us to trust him in the trial. You know what's fascinating? When you step back and read the Psalms, you realize that much of it, much of the much of the David Psalms are written as he's suffering, as he's being attacked unjustly. 
Eugene Peterson explains it this way. He says, David's experience with enmity was one of the powerful shaping influences in his life. Much of his spirituality, the way he prayed, the way he lived, can be accounted for only by understanding the ways he experienced and handled enmity. God doesn't promise that our lives will be easy. He does not give us a forecast of what will happen in the future. We don't have a map of every detail of our life. He does promise, though, friends, that those who trust in Christ will inherit the kingdom. But in the midst of it, unexpected difficulties and trials come. Trials that you would have never anticipated. I'm surely after David killed Goliath, he never would have anticipated that the very next day, Saul would hate him and try to kill him. I mean, that's probably the last thing that would be on his mind. He was the hero, and yet, difficulty struck him. But he had the promise, and we have the promise, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Ultimately, God's purposes for David and for me and for you will be fulfilled. So writes the prophet Isaiah, when you pass through the waters. I'll take the waters away. Know what it says? I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, not if, do you see that? Not if. But when you do, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God is with you. The suffering that you are encountering right now is ordained by God in your life. It is tailor-fit for you. Friend, lean into it. Put your shoulder to it. My friend in um, Des Moines Baptist, when I was, some of you know my story, when I, I, thought, I thought to this day I'd still be in Brisbane for the next 30 years, and I didn't know what on earth was going to happen when my visa fell out, and I'm like, I don't even know what church I'm going to end up, where, and I called my friend in Des Moines, and I thought he'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, and da, 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 and he just said, ah, put your shoulder to it, and I was like, jerk, delete, you know, no, I, I didn't do that, but I, but I just thought, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a right way to respond to this trial, isn't there? God, if, 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 I, if I truly believe that God's sovereign over all things, then I need to lean into it and put my shoulder to it. Not run away from it, not recoil from it, not try to soothe it, but say, yes, Lord, I embrace it, and I, I, how can I grow from this? I mean, David, David is going to be the king, and we know that. But he's probably wondering, when's that day going to come? And in the meantime, he's, there's a lot of suffering. So wrapping this thing up, I want to close by offering a warning and an encouragement. A warning and an encouragement. I think there's a warning here from this passage. We need to resist and repent of pride. We need, we need to resist and to repent of pride. You know you're proud. You know you're proud when you get jealous over someone else's recognition. 
You know you're proud when you get jealous over someone else's recognition. You know you're proud when your suggestion or idea is not followed. You know you're proud when your suggestion, your idea at work isn't followed. And you know you're proud when you're threatened by someone else's success. Look, evil is fundamentally irrational. Evil is fundamentally irrational. What Saul was doing in these chapters, it didn't make any sense. His pride literally drove him mad. And the best way to counteract pride is to focus on, to press into, even obsess over the glory of God. When you are so consumed in Christ and you are richly bathing your mind in the scriptures and praising him, it's quite difficult to be prideful. Not impossible, but quite difficult. And you'll be reminded that God opposes the proud. I mean, just think about that line. God, do you want God standing in opposition to you? <laughs> what a scary thought. So chuck your pride in the bin. Flee to Jesus. And I think there's an encouragement here as well. You know, when you come to the end of 19, it's an amazing scene. Saul is humiliated. He's paralyzed by the power of God. But that's not the end of the story, is it? I mean, it's the end of our time together this morning, but that's not the end of the story. It's not happily ever after for David. He has to go fleeing after that. He's going to spend several years being hunted down by Saul. God doesn't always remove us immediately from tough situations. But he will see that his good purposes get accomplished in us. I mean, wasn't this one of the themes of Hannah's prayer? Do you remember Hannah way back in the beginning? The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. David is going through suffering, isn't he? And he will continue to go through suffering. Saul is against him. He is, it says, continually his enemy. Did you see that bit? At the same time, the Lord brings low. That's what's happening to Saul. God is frustrating Saul's plans. He's bringing Saul low, and he's exalting David. How? In what way? Through what means? Through difficulties. Through trials. Through hard times. And that's how he works through our lives as well. I, there was a man that started a church planting network in Southern California where I grew up. His name is Chuck Smith. And he started this whole church planting network called Calvary Chapels. And I looked to this guy because I thought he was like, he's not, uh, he's very bland. But the Lord had used him in a lot of just, honestly, I'd say like miraculous ways in the sense of just, he's just bland, but he just opened up God's word and the Lord just used him and he influenced people, discipled guys and then planted more churches and it was fantastic. And one day I met Chuck Smith, he's with the Lord now, but one day I met him and I went up to him and I said, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Chuck, you know, you've got a lot of Bible knowledge and that's really cool, but I want to be a pastor one day and what's the 
best thing that's helped you grow in your relationship with Jesus, right? Like, what, what's been the thing that's anchored you the most? And, and you do, it, what's the thing that's just caused you to be more like Jesus? And now you'd think he'd say, throw a verse at me or whatever. And he just, he looked down at the ground as he, he talked like this, you know. And he looked down and he looked at me at trials. And I was like, right. That's it. You want to be more like Jesus, you embrace him through the trial. I kind of looked at April and I was like, well, that stinked. I'm going to go hear that. You know, I'm going to go ask another famous pastor. Like, that's not, that's not what I want to hear. And as a Westerner, we don't want to hear that, do we? But that is the Lord's method. He puts us in the midst of it. It's through difficulties. It's through trials. It's through hard times. That's how he works through our lives. The Lord works his purposes. But it's not easy, is it? The trial that you're suffering right now is not easy. The Lord is sovereign. He will protect his own. He will protect his own. All things work for not our good, but the good. All things work for the good, for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. Trust the Lord, dear friend. He is good. He is good to you because of David's greater son who came in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. That though your sins were an offense to God Almighty, he loved you enough to send his own son. That if you trust in him, you can be forgiven of your sin and be adopted as God's child. I pray Today has been both a warning and an encouragement to your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you again for this opportunity to come, to meet together, to gather around your word. We know that you speak to us as your word is open and preached. That your word does not return to you void, but accomplishes the purpose of why you sent it. So Lord, may the truths that were heard today sink down deep in our hearts and change the way that we think. Please, by your mercy, help us to repent of the areas that are just full of pride in our lives. Only your mercy, only your grace, only your spirit can do that. So we pray, Lord, we, we fling ourselves on you now and ask that you would forgive us. We don't want to be opposed by you. We want your grace. So would you work a genuine gospel humility in us this week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.